Hi, this is Amy Bowen. Welcome to Episode 9 of Movie Chat with the Movie Night Crew for Saturday, September 16th, 2017. to have to haul my laptop with me to the con. Therefore, I didn't have the opportunity to get this episode edited and posted in time for a September 2nd release. Now that the con is over, things have finally gone back to normal enough for me to sit down and do some podcast editing and recording. This episode of Movie Chat with the Movie Night Crew is titled From the Sublime to the Ridiculous, which was also what our movie night event was named that week. The main body of the audio content in this episode was recorded on Sunday night, August 27th, 2017, which was the last movie night before Dragon Con this year. The movies we watched that night were Princess Mononoke and Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. At the time of recording, I intended this episode to be my grand finale to the 2017 Dog Days of Podcasting Challenge, so I'm going to leave all my original words of introduction in instead of editing them out. Also, this episode gets pretty geeky and silly. Please enjoy our discussion of Princess Mononoke and Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Hi, this is Amy Bowen. This is my Dog Days of Podcasting episode for Saturday, September 2nd, 2017. Welcome to Episode 9 of Movie Chat with the Movie Night Crew. Tonight's Movie Night event is titled From the Sublime to the Ridiculous, which I thought was a beautiful title for an event, and it's a good descriptor of the two movies we'll be watching. Stu's words, We will be watching Princess Mononoke, which is often considered one of the most exquisite exercises in the history of animated film. This will be followed by Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, which isn't. I'm going to save my Attack of the Killer Tomatoes thing for for the second segment. Right now, before we get started, uh, without any further discussion, Stu has a good story surrounding uh, Princess Mononoke, which we've all heard, and it's definitely entertaining and definitely podcast-worthy, at least in my opinion. Well, I hope so. Is I, I'm not a big anime fan. I mean, most most of my friends are. You know, you are Amy and Andy and um, and uh, sorry, and, and Nissa are here, and they're both and they're huge anime fans. Most of most of my crew really is. So I'm, when we have movies like this, I'm more of an appreciator than a, someone who knows anything. But I, I did see this when it was on tour in the U.S. back in the '90s, and I didn't really intend to. I'd gotten home from a a reasonably rough week of work, and I had a bottle of vodka, I think, that someone gave me from, from Germany, and I had a, a container of orange juice, and I mixed it, took a taste, and like, oh, this is perfect. I have never made a, such a screwdriver with such perfect proportions in my entire life. And this wasn't a small tumbler glass. This was like, yeah, it's like a pint glass of, 
of, uh, of vodka and orange juice. I'm like, I've, it's dead on us. Never going to get better than this. So I'm just ready to tip it back. Phone rings. I'm like, okay. Pick it up. Hello? Ask my friend, my friend Dave. And Dave's like, hey, Stu. And Dave doesn't have a car. So he's this young kid. He's kind of a free spirit. He's like, hey, Stu. You want to go see Princess Mononoke and Lincoln? It's this incredible movie. It's really, you know, he's raving about this, how good this movie is. I'm literally looking. In one hand, I have the best screwdriver I'm ever going to make. In the other hand, I have my phone and Crazy Dave. Back, forth, back, forth. Back, forth. <laughs> and finally, I make my decision that I'll take the high road and go see Princess Mononoke. And I haven't really regretted that. You know, I stuck the screwdriver in the fridge, had it later. It was, it was still reasonably good, even with the dilution from the ice. But... Yeah, uh, that's this is not like I said a form I really appreciate as much as as much as I could. Um, it's a heck of a movie, and I I know we'll all enjoy it. <laughs> Thank you very much, Stu. I appreciate it. Remind me when we get to our mid mid movie night segment to tell my funny Attack of the Killer Tomato story. Welcome back. We just finished with uh, Princess Mononoke, and uh, does anyone want to say anything else about it, or shall I move to my next segment? Uh, I'd just say I like the themes. Um, let's see. The characterizations were always really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen this movie about a thousand times now. Yeah. And every time I watch it, I'm more and more impressed by the fact that the animation was done the way it was. This mm-hmm. is this movie's made in, what, 96, 97? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 97, I think. So. And... The animation's about as good as you can get, and this is in the time of just '90s anime schlock. <laughs> just, just the most shittily put together animes during this time period, and you have this where it still easily holds up better than most anime that's coming out right this second. Story can be a little dry at times, um, honestly. I don't know what do you think, still. What did I think? Yeah, from a story perspective, what? Oh, how do you feel really? about it? Part of it is, I mean, this is one of those films, and, and maybe I'm wrong about this because I'm I'm arguing from straight ignorance here, that I think really is probably better understood if one is inured in the culture that produced Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, you guys were talking, were telling me things about the visuals we were seeing that that, that, that a, at least a Westerner, you know, someone who's reasonably well educated with a Western education would not have known just from the visual themselves, just from the, just from the self-contained context of the film. Um, I think the nature of how the story is told yeah, is fairly characteristic of the culture that, um, that, that produced it and would probably be better apprehended as a corpus of a lot of texts as opposed to a text that stands by itself mm-hmm. that, gets, um, that gets exported. Well, I'm thinking, I was, trying, I was doing a little lecture for a skeptics group about fairy tales a while back, and I was... I'd found this Japanese analog to Cinderella, but instead of the fairy godmother, the donor was the lead character's mother reincarnated as a fish whom was then caught and cut up, and the bones were like the little totems that she would use to make things happen. And, yeah, I mean, to a Western mind, that's like, what? What just happened here? And so you, you so if this is a good... This, yeah, on the, on the other hand, conversely, I think this serves as a good entree to 
Japanese folklore, Japanese folk culture. Oh, it is, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think you, you could spend a whole semester just tracing back all the reference in this movie, and you'd really find yourself much richer for it. It's a, it's a great film. Thank you, Stu. You're absolutely right, and I wish I had a whole commentary to give on this, but I don't. Sorry. Shucks. <laughs> yeah. Our second movie tonight, as I already mentioned, will be Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. And the thing that I have to say about this is I mentioned in my episode where we watched The Apartment and Attack of the 50-Foot Woman, which I believe I released two weeks ago, that back in the day, and must have been sometime in 2001, maybe early 2002, I'm pretty sure it was sometime in 2001, when Lucasfilm announced the title for Attack of the Clones, everyone was really disappointed and somewhat leery, shall we say, because it evoked uh, the titles of these two terrible old movies. One of them was Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. This, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, is the other one. My funny, silly story about this, which I'm going to tell now because I'm too lazy to write it, and I shouldn't be writing it anyway, is that my personal, for copyright reasons, uh, Stu is giving me this look, and I, that I feel the need to clarify, for copyright reasons, not for anything untoward. Anyway, what they call in the world of fandom my personal headcanon, or something I personally believe happened, or I like to think happened, in this particular fictional universe. Now that I've seen the Clone Wars TV series, I like to think somebody, at some point during those three years, some enterprising individual within the Star Wars universe decided to make a contemporary war movie, but add fantastical imaginary elements that are fantastical and imaginary even in that universe, and named it Attack of the 50-Foot Killer Clones. Good enough. <laughs> Which uh, is what I affectionately call Attack of the Clones in my mind sometimes. So, Attack of the 50-Foot Killer Clones... Uh, oh, and in order to do that, he had to... The unnamed enterprising director had to meet and interview the clones that we get to know in the Attack of the Clones TV series. And then they watched the movie and they... Uh, they all think the guy is kind of weird. <laughs> They think it's hilarious at how ridiculously they, the director portrayed everyone. I just like to think that happened. Before we get into the movie, shall we get into the movie, or...? Let's, um, you want me to tell my story? It's a little bit... Yes. I mean, this film doesn't exactly belong in the, you know, canon of, of great films. I mean, you're not going to see it in too many film studies courses or anything along those lines. It was made for under $100,000 in 1978, which... Granted, that went a lot further then than it does now, and this is not as technically inept as something like Manos, The Hands of Fate, but it's more or less a home movie, I think. I guess, I think a lot of it was kind of crowdsourced um, in San Diego. I know that, I know there, there's one scene where I guarantee somebody has put out a flyer saying, hey, if you want to be in a movie, show up at Charger Stadium and at such a time and let's go. All you got to do is stomp, stomp a bunch of tomatoes. Yeah, if you think that's a spoiler, you know, you've, you you don't have much of a life. Anywho, interesting trivia about this is that one of the co-writers and co-producers and 
um, having a guy who has a minor role in the movie is a guy named Stephen Peace. And about four years after this film, swear to God, this sounds like I'm making it up. I am not. Um, he ran for California State Assembly and was elected, served for 10 years, and then ran for California State Senate, was also, was also elected to that body and served another 10 years. So this guy was in California State Government for about 20 years after the making of this movie. During it, during it, at one time, he even started making sequels to this film while still serving in California state government. So, yeah, anytime you think that politics is completely run away from reality, well, it has some some good healthy roots in Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. <laughs> Thank you very much. And this non-existent story that I'm too lazy to write, but I'll just give you some of the highlights that are in my head. Rex, Wolf, and friends are roped into doing a motion capture uh, segment for the movie. They don't understand why they need to take time out of their busy day to do this. But they play along anyway because they figure any publicity they can get is good publicity. The director explains that somebody figured out a another way to weaponize the Force to cause the clones... Uh, or maybe, like, interacted with a negative space wedgie or something to cause them to become 50 foot tall, like the titular 50 foot woman. And when they get wind of this, Anakin and Ahsoka very vehemently try to explain to the director that that's not how the Force works. He doesn't listen, and the movie gets made anyway, and it's about as terrible and ridiculous as Attack of the 50 foot Woman was. And they <laughs> think the whole thing is hilarious and silly, but move on with their lives and get back to actually fighting the war. The movie is reviewed terribly, and some people think, who are stupid enough and don't know anything, that the Jedi can actually do that. So the final shot of this non-existent episode of the Clone Wars TV series that I'm imagining is of Supreme Chancellor Palpatine snickering at the reviews and saying, Everything is going according to plan. Oh, dear God. <laughs> did, it, did you have something else you wanted to say? <laughs> uh, just um, adding a little bit of trivia to this, considering this, this podcast is out of Omaha these days. The, this film, I guess, began life as a student film directed by one Constantine Dillon. Um, mm-hmm. at, um, at the University of California, San Diego, who began his career, if you want to call it that, um, or, or began life, I should say, right here in Omaha, Nebraska. So, yes, there are, as Sandy, this, this movie wow. is, pure, is pure San Diego, by the way. Okay. There's a local San Diego celebrity in this film who would shortly thereafter become a famous national celebrity uh, named the San Diego Chicken. <laughs> um but as pure San Diego as this movie is, there's some Omaha soul to it, so peace out. Thank you. That's really good. That's actually very good to hear. <laughs> cool. And now, without further ado, Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. Yeah, that was fun. I, I started rolling just because I wanted to say that was one of the fun, most fun, 
and zany and ridiculous silly fun things we've ever we've ever seen here that didn't take itself too seriously mm-hmm. and didn't take itself seriously <laughs> or at all that's <laughs> well, sort of the point I, I don't think there's any coincidence that's this is where Comic-Con comes from. This is San Diego. <laughs> this is the crew. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> These are the people. Uh-huh. I'm into that. And as this is... We were just talking about how if we were going to make a silly, fun movie with our friends, this is the movie we would make. And I think it's appropriate enough that this is... I fully intend to get this particular episode released this coming Saturday, which will be the Saturday of Dragon Con. Everybody... If you are still subscribed to the Dog Days of Podcasting feed, enjoy your Dragon Con. I will have to post on there. This is also going to be my farewell to Dog Days of Podcasting 2017. It's been a lot of fun. I will give a proper thank you on my penultimate episode, which will be recorded and released that Friday, somehow. Um, Have a good night. And that was all we recorded that night. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you again in another two weeks. The theme music for Movie Chat with the Movie Night crew is Look Busy by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. The beep transition was created by Chris Lester for his Metamore City podcast, the chime sound effect is windchimes1.wave by B. Steele, which is available via freesound.org and is licensed under a Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license. 